Barbecue's our passion, and that's just what you'll get where the Kim Burns is a barbecuer. Tales from the pits. Howdy, welcome to another episode of Tales from the Pits. This is Brian. And Andrew. And today we are here in the chocolate making factory with Scott and Greg. And also along with chocolate, of course, there's barbecue. Let's not forget about that. Uh, but initially, let's start. We're, we're at Tejas, by the way. You didn't say that. I just said the chocolate making factory. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all you need to know. It's a chocolate making factory. It's, it's the only chocolate making factory in barbecue that I'm aware of. So, so far. So far, yeah. The trend will catch up. Until we start ours, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and you guys started with, with chocolate and with bean-to-bar chocolate. Um, tell us a little bit about why you wanted to go down that path. You, from, from what I understand, you were the first in Texas yeah. to do bean-to-bar. Yeah, first company in Texas to do the process of bean-to-bar chocolate, where you start with a raw cocoa bean and you do your own roasting and winnowing and cracking and grinding, um, tempering and molding chocolate, so the whole process. Um, I discovered it on TV, honestly, watching the Food Network. Uh, Two guys in New York doing this bean-to-bar chocolate process. And I was just surfing through, and what I, I paused there for a minute because this guy was talking about different roast profiles on different cocoa beans. And that's what spun me around a little bit and woke me up. So roasting cocoa beans, different temperatures, different times, based on the origin. So I was fascinated by that. And through that, I realized, I don't think I really know what good chocolate tastes like. I like chocolate ice cream and chocolate cake and that sort of thing. But to say I like dark chocolate was a stretch at best. So it got my curiosity up about dark chocolate. I went and bought some artisan craft American-made craft dark chocolate, and I was blown away by how good it was. So that inspired me. Then through that process of finding more dark chocolate makers, I discovered these back room forums on the internet, <laughs> the interweb. I do like the internet's full of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah you got to be careful <laughs> which be back room forums. Yeah, yeah. Um, I am a Google and YouTube graduate. <laughs> um, I found these discussions about making chocolate at home, and I was like, how is this possible? I thought chocolate came from a magic factory in the sky. And I um, started researching and I realized that for about $1,000, I can buy what I need to start making chocolate at home. So I told Michelle, I'm gonna start making chocolate <laughs> at home. She said, yeah, just go for it. Cause she's a foodie at heart. And um, that's how the chocolate thing started strictly as a hobby. And uh, we went from there, we went from making it home to, wow, the first batch tasted kind of like chocolate. I was impressed. And the next thing you know, we realized later that there was nobody in the state of Texas doing this process and trying to market that. Um, So we wondered about that and we came up with the brand. Um, You know, lots of things you don't really necessarily want to put a geographic boundary on your product, but chocolate I thought needed, we wanted people to know it's made in Texas and is about single origin chocolate and the origins of Texas and Tejas just kind of popped up. Greg and I are fifth generation Texans and yeah, it just seemed natural. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. From New York originally. <laughs> Every opportunity. And, and guess what? It was it was a place in Brooklyn that originally got him thinking about it. There's so always a guess connection. Where I'm from. That's right. <laughs> there Mass, you go. Mass Brothers in Brooklyn. So um we branded Tejas and we started showing up at the farmer's market to try to sell it. And 
I didn't think Tomball was ready for a seven dollar chocolate bar, but turned out I couldn't have been more wrong. Uh, we showed up, we sell out every time we'd go, and it was remarkable. And that in of itself kind of led us to look at Tomball very differently uh, in terms of a foodie culture and people that have an appetite for, you know, well-made foods, you know, good taste, that sort of thing, which ultimately led us to barbecue. It's kind of interesting about that whole, you, you really introduced this whole market to something they never had before. We talk about that on the show all the time about people to get that first experience of great barbecue and so you were providing that on a different level with chocolate for people who had never got to experience what what bean to bar means and a lot of people may not have known what bean to bar meant but they you can taste the difference and it's like we talk about with you know prime beef and quality meat sources you may not know why it tastes better at first you just know that it tastes better and then you eventually hopefully educate yourself and realize oh so this is why it tastes different than the hershey bar i just bought from the grocery store last week 100 percent. i mean that was I knew that we were going to have to educate people about chocolate when we started selling it and then you know fast forward a little bit not to get too far ahead of ourselves but when we opened up and started selling barbecue I didn't really realize how much we'd have to educate people <laughs> about barbecue I mean this is Texas for crying out loud everybody knows but we were doing some things that people were just not familiar with and especially in, in Tumball and some of the outskirts I yeah. mean, and in Houston in general I mean we've talked about that many times too but um, it was really the kind of the a big wave it wasn't the first wave wasn't the second wave but uh, it was a big wave that was coming through um did you make your own roaster for the the, the chocolate how yeah. did that roaster come along because that's a I, pretty unique device the first batch of cocoa beans um i did in a, in a dish pan in the oven in the kitchen and then it suddenly dawned on me i said what in the hell am i doing i'm a texan for crying out loud why aren't i roasting this on my barbecue pit and so i bought a, and converted a, a peanut roasting drum and a rotisserie motor and started doing it on my gas grill in the backyard and then michelle said okay the chocolate operation must depart my kitchen <laughs> or i'm going to kill you and um, so i moved it in the back of our warehouse that we were in at the time and we uh, me and a buddy built a little brick oven barbecue pit and turned it into uh, a cocoa bean roaster very cool now and that starts the connection kind of between barbecue and chocolate right as we get closer and closer there's another thing that's interesting is that one of the beans that you're using came from new guinea tell us a little bit about that bean and, and how that smoke and barbecue kind of connection happens yeah so during the process of harvesting cacao they they put the fruit into wooden boxes and it ferments for about a week and then when it's done fermenting it's wet and the cocoa bean must be dried and a lot of origins put them out on sun decks or in uh, areas that might be covered with tarps uh, so it, it'll dry but in Papua New Guinea it rains like every day so they use uh, these big houses and, uh, to dry the cocoa beans indoors and they needed to heat them so they heated them with wood fires and the smoke from the wood fires would, would get on a wet cocoa bean and smoke likes to stick to wet surfaces and so you get this really distinct smoky flavor into the cocoa beans. The chocolate world, the connoisseurs of the world, viewed that as a defect. But again, we're from Texas, and uh, I embraced the smoky flavor in Papua New Guinea and um, just ran with it. It's what you would expect a chocolate maker in Texas to produce is a chocolate with a hint it of smoke. It smokes a little smoke in it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Interesting thing about that bean, that's about the timeline where I kind of came along, you know, they had all these different beans. And of course, when I first got there, Scott and Michelle, these two really small melangers, you know, and he just got that brick oven built. 
and timing was good. They had that P&G, the Papua New Guinea bean, and I remember we were messing around at the time with different levels of sugar in that thing and how much it changed. The smokiness would really change and all that kind of thing with the more sugar you put into that bean. It was really interesting. We got, you could, you know, just by changing the, the amount of sugar that we made chocolate with that bean, you could really have three completely different projects going on. And conversely, actually, that was kind of the inspiration for me whenever we started making mole, was I had that chocolate in mind when we, the first batch we ever made. We used to have a bunch of that chocolate laying around. So, you know, it was kind of when we started transitioning to barbecue, that was what I wanted. I just remember that chocolate, the way it adjusted different to all different. Did the mole levels. come first or the chocolate? Uh, chocolate came first. It was inspiration. I mean, you know. I mean, I'm sorry, the mole or the barbecue? Oh, the barbecue was first, you know. The barbecue was first. I remember the day we were looking for a retail space for chocolate and we found this old house and that's kind of when the whole barbecue started coming along. And then the pit search started and the mole kind of came in after that. Actually, it was kind of something we came up with to help us with pop-ups in, in the farmer's market. Because we were actually doing a little bit of pulled pork tacos at the farmer's market and selling chocolate. As we were figured out we were going to do barbecue, we were doing a little bit of both. How are the pulled pork tacos selling at the farmer's market? Because Texans and pulled pork are a complicated relationship. Well, it actually did pretty good. I think what Scott you know, said before, we didn't really know the market for Tom was ready for a $7 chocolate bar, but they were. And they were more than willing to try a pulled pork mole taco as well. Yeah. We, un we unknowingly stole the pulled pork mole tacos from Tejas. We, did, we did those about a month ago. Out there. <laughs> Do we have a patent infringement case here? <laughs> we have your recipe. You'll no, get all $30 we made from it. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, the barbecue came within a blink of an eye of never happening because we were building a wholesale uh, business in a chocolate. Uh, we are selling the Whole Foods and the Central Market, and we were in this transition in our lives. Our other business was... Um, was failing. We were, the revenue would change, the market had changed, and we we're trying to figure out what to do to make a living. And we just missed on a small space here in Tomball that would have been big enough and cheap enough to put just a chocolate operation in, and we might have gotten by there. And we missed on that space. Then we found the building we're in today and said, man, we got to do something besides chocolate to be able to pay for that. And that's when Greg and I looked at each other and said, let's do barbecue. It was simultaneous. Scott's always been a great backyard cook, but you know, prior to that, I mean, prior to where we are now, and I was a chef by trade, and I remember him saying, you know, there's a kitchen, they want food and craft beer, what can we do? And I think the conversation was, let's do something, you know, we're both like and can be good at, and it, it was. I think we both spit it out at the same time. What barbecue. were your influences of barbecue as far as what you ate and what your, your measure was as far as what you were comparing to? Well. You know, I did barbecue in the backyard on Sunday at home, and that was probably a part in part a hack. Um, but people liked it, and the family were there. Usually, I got them drunk and hungry enough they'd eat anything. So um, I was pretty good at some some things, uh, grilling and more grilling and smoking meats. But you know, we we have a property um, west of San Antonio on a Frio River and um, frequently would stop and hit City Market in Luling. It was like one of my favorite stops to go in there into that smoke room and uh, eat those ribs and that brisket and their sausage. So you were destined to make sausage, and we'll get to that. Yeah. That, that's that, a nice that time part of that. Yeah. Of it, yeah. I, I don't want to jump ahead, but you remember what I told you when I took a bite of the all-beef sausage today. Yep. 
I said, it's not nearly as greasy, but man, this reminds me of a Luling sausage. So. Yeah, that smoke room there is going to be pretty inspirational. You know, I'm not, I, mean, I, I could see the barbecue dwindling in, in, in quality there, but people still go back. I still go back to walk in that smoke room. Oh, yeah. Watch those guys dig it out. And, of those and get some sausage and, there. And sausage, yeah, too. The, the, Amazing. That sausage is awesome, and it's a great place to visit. It's got a lot of history, too. Yeah. It's, it's one of our favorite places to stop. Yeah, you just want to hang out in that smoke room forever. You never want to leave. You just want to stand there. You want to help the guy with the register. Can I just hang out and bring up some sales for you? Yeah. But, you know, our dad was a traveling salesman all the time in the summertime when we were in school. When we were teenagers, he would take turns taking one of us as he traveled around Texas, Valley, whatever. Dad was pretty, he was pretty notorious for stopping off at any little barbecue stand he could find, you know. I remember Joel's and Fatonia's one that we always, you know, we used to hit that one quite a bit. I just remember that one off the top of my head. There was one down around McAllen somewhere. It was a whole different kind of barbecue, but he would pull in there and stop along the way. So as a kid, you're growing up. It's travel Texas and stop and eat barbecue somewhere. Right. Very, very experiential. You know, there's there's memories. Again, we talked about it many yeah. times. I hate to, I, we're not allowed to use that phrase anymore. But we talk about this a lot. Yeah. We talk about barbecue a lot, so yeah. it's only natural it's going to happen. So. In, in my, I was in the railroad industry prior to this, and I went to Palestine, Texas a lot. And I wish I could remember the name of the place. It was just a roadside place just east of downtown Palestine. It's a shack. I mean... And the pitmaster was a black guy, wore his big black hat, and he just looked like a barbecue pitmaster from East Texas. I mean, he was prototypical. And people would line up there, and his, chop- his chopping board was saddle-shaped. It was probably eight inches deeper in the center than it was on the edges. And he would chop with two cleavers at a time. Bam, 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 bam. And he would just talk trash with all the people in there and just slinging barbecue like crazy. And um, we used to go there for lunch all the time when I'd go up and see my railroad accounts in Palestine. And and Palestine was that the, was that had anything to do with the steam train, or just that general part of Texas? It was they have that one from Palestine to Rust, right? Yeah, Union Pacific Railroad's got a big yard there in Palestine, and there's a rail car repair shop south there in Elkhart. Um, so I went up there quite a bit. That was one of my better customers. Well, you're not you're you're just across the street from the tracks here as well. <laughs> well, we ended up right across the street from a Burlington Northern Main Line. So I just can't get the rail out of me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, you know, from your skill level, you know, this is this is kind of a new age, the age of the internet in general. Now, I mean, everything in the past was handed down. Recipes may have been written. Now you can Google. You know, you said you're a Google graduate. So am I. I mean, if we want to. You know, we want to cook something, I go try to find 20 recipes, find the common threads, and then bring in our own spin to it. How, how did that help you with barbecue, and how did that get you to where you are today? Yeah, I, um, I think the first website I landed on, it was helpful to me. There was two of them. Rob Walsh's website and some of his readings and writings about, you know, the community barbecues and all that. And some of it, through his website, I ended up on Amazing Ribs oh, yes. website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the meathead, meathead, meat. Head, meathead, meathead meat, yeah. yeah, and um, there were some things that touched off, and I went out and bought me a smoke a Weber Smoky Mountain. And that's when I, my brisket game improved a lot from that. Yeah, yeah. At that point, he had that Weber about the same. Cause he had put me on to, to the meathead. I was still, you know, a chef at, at an Italian restaurant, and so occasionally I didn't have enough time to want to try to play around, you know, cooking barbecue at home on the weekend. And so, you know, the pit I had in the back was a, it was a it was an old offset, but it was the it was the Home Depot top line kind of thing. So it leaked like crazy. Oklahoma Joe type. And I, and yeah. Literally, he put me under the meathead because I was trying to figure out a way at home to seal it up a little better. You know, 
but it was still a terrible and pit to cook These on days, believe it or not, there's whole websites devoted to those low-end pits with ceiling kits, literally right. ceiling kits right. and everything, yeah. Yeah. Um, to try to get them up because it's such a it's such a popular thing now to try to get an offset. It, it's grown so much, but. Um, so just, you know, trial and error, trial and error. Yeah. Um, Black October, tell us a little bit about Black October, because that is one of the more unique pits, maybe not quite as much as as uh, Moberly uh, Bodacious. But uh, yeah, Jordan's pits are just a whole Frankenstein <laughs> thing. But, 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 <laughs> this is Frankenstein Jr. <laughs> but Black October's got a lot of character, and that yeah. was that was what started it all at the business. So, yeah, how did, how did Black October... Well, I'll, just, I'll start real quick, and I know Scott's got a lot of follow-up, but I remember the... The, the defining moment that I remember the most is we decided to do barbecue and we were looking on Craigslist, you know, just trying to find the pit. We really didn't know exactly what we were looking at, but I think we had a great idea. Um, and some of the Franklin videos kind of pointed us in the right direction. And me personally, to be honest, I, n- I never heard of Franklin barbecue until Obama cut the line. Really, I didn't know, I didn't ever heard of the place. So that was my first place. And I've never really tried that, that level of barbecue before. So anyway, we went looking for the pit and I remember Scott was at the office and I remember him I was molding chocolate bars at the time. And he said, hey, come in here, you gotta look at this. And so that's when he found Black October on Craigslist. And yeah, it was it. it was meant to be. I think I found it the very day it was posted. And I called a guy up or texted him on, you know, you don't call anybody on Craigslist, right? You text, <laughs> you don't even wanna use your own phone number because you're worried about what might happen. But anyway, we got connected pretty quick and I think we drove out there the next day and by the time we got there, the guy said, um, I've had four other calls on this pit. And then I was like, well, he's just using that for leverage. But then the negotiating starts. So yeah, we literally found it on Craigslist. Um, it was a dismantled barbecue cook-off team. They all went different directions and this guy got stuck with his pit. And um, let's say stuck with it, he, he had it. And it was um, like a lot of pit masters or, or guys or backyard guys, the day we bought that pit and we drove out of his driveway with it, I think it was probably one of the saddest days of his life he ever experienced to see his pit roll away. And we were as happy as we could be. <laughs> well, it's yeah. very unique. I mean, it's it's got a lot of character to it, and we've, we've got some pictures we'll share. Yeah, because. I've got to ask, does he know what became of it? I still have his card. He We, we always told him that we, he said he did business in Tom Ball. I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen him. Yeah. But I still have his number. I thought about calling him. But I remember yeah, I don't know if that would break his heart more or make him happy that of what Black October became. I think he wrote it off at the time. Like, you know, he had he didn't need the money. He had a lot of other toys going on, gotcha. and other things to do. I think he's probably a pretty well-rounded guy with with toys and hobbies. It seemed like. But I remember we got there and the pit hadn't been used. It was rusty and had a bunch of mold and the grates and all that kind of stuff. But you know, the great you know the great levels came right up to where the doors stopped and it had the had the seals around the doors and we both knew right away it was well built whoever built it you know the the 250 upright stack was kind of perplexing at first i think but anyway i remember hey, uh, kind of describe that for people yeah. that haven't i mean we'll have pictures but it's 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 two propane tanks one upright one sideways welded together right um is it a is it two 250s or is it it's a 500 and a 250 i say it's a little bigger so 500 yeah it's got an offset firebox yeah. separate then it's a 500 and it's a 250 all right. all welded together and it has the 250 has um, their trays inside the 250 as well right there's shelves four shelves there and we, we call it the vertical stack smoke comes up from underneath it and it's part of the actual exhaust and the draw for the main chamber um, the pit's got some nice features it's got these star hinges and little texas cutouts on the handle so it looks pretty cool honestly um, 
it was the pit was was pretty darn ugly it had this yellow mustard metal roof siding it was <laughs> but ugly man it was terrible uh, and we got it and first thing we did was took all that metal off of it and when we backed it in here we put the wood on it to make it look like a cook shack but we knew that we wanted an offset smoker propane tanks got our attention and you know we had talked about maybe building our own pit or trying to get that done then we found this thing thought it would be exactly what we needed it was on a trailer we believed that we might drag it around and do maybe either some competition cooks or some festivals get to know it and that never happened it spent three months in greg's driveway and three months in my driveway until michelle and all the ladies in our lives said that's enough this has got to go and so we put it at the warehouse park keep waiting yeah. for my wife to kick all of our pits out of my garage <laughs> it, it, it was strange to you fire don't have it. a 500 in there yet yet <laughs> it was strange to fire it up and cook like a rack of ribs <laughs> one, one, one brisket yeah, yeah one brisket wasn't wasn't too efficient either was no it? no um, it was big though it took up a lot of drive to driveway space and the neighbors got more and more interested interested in what you were doing so it needed to get out of the driveway at some point it's huge the thing on a trailer and encased and as, as bizarre as that pit may have been it got you to the texas monthly top 50 and in texas monthly top 10. it did um, which was which is an amazing feat on many levels. Uh, you know, very new restaurant coming into this. Guys that didn't have a long pedigree of barbecue. Yeah. Um, with this with this very unique pit, that was a big deal. That was a big deal for Houston. It was a big deal for a lot of people. Number six is is way up there. What was that like? Well, I, I'll, I'll tell my side real quick. But it, Go it ahead. It's funny. <laughs> uh, I happened to. It was on Monday morning when they released that stuff. And we had a lot of traffic phone calls from Texas Monthly, so we were pretty sure that we were going to be in the top 50, which was an honor in itself. We think we suspected there might be something cooking that we didn't know. But I remember I was in town on Monday morning, really early. It's pouring down rain, worst thunderstorm ever. And uh, I went to go see Russell Regals. He's a good friend of mine. So the idea was I'd go by on Monday morning, which is not uncommon for me to do, to go see him on Monday mornings. So we were going to wait it out together, wait for it to release, you know. <laughs> And I got a phone call. There I was just, a lot of people texting back and forth oh, yeah. that night. It was I crazy. Just pulled it, I just pulled into this, his driveway and parked at this restaurant. It was pouring down rain. And then Scott gave me the call. He had gotten the call first to know. And I was pretty much, what? Really? you got to be kidding me. You know, I was like, so anyway, I think they asked that we keep it quiet for a little bit. So I had to walk into Russell's place and not say a damn word for a little while, which was tough. But I know for Scott, he had, he had a much more interesting morning than I did that day. Yeah, I was uh, on the seasoning table getting ready to season, starting to season briskets to cook later in the day, and um, my phone's ringing. I look down, and it's Chris Reed, J.C. Reed from the Chronicle, calling me. And um, so I pick up the phone. Say, hey, what's going on? He goes, well, I wanted to get, um, you know, I wanted to get your reaction for the paper on you guys being named number one, and he paused. And I was like, what? And they goes, yeah, you named number one barbecue joint in Houston. <laughs> and my uh, on, my honest initial reaction was, really? Well, where's Corkscrew at? How could that be possible? And, um, and he goes, no, no, you, you're right there with you. They're at number seven, and you guys made the top ten and want to get your reaction to it. And um, I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm rather flabbergasted, to be honest with you. It was unexpected. We had hoped we'd crack the top 50. But to be up in the top ten was unexpected, and 
So I call Greg and Michelle and let them know what's going on, and my phone just started going absolutely berserk. All the social media notifications and all this stuff, and it was a fun day. We were just enjoying the moment and the excitement and the enthusiasm, and then Greg got in later uh, that afternoon, and we started to talk about, okay, well, what do you, what do you think we need to do for tomorrow? I said, well, I don't know. Um, what, you know, how big a deal can it be? I mean, <laughs> you, your max capacity was a 14, 17 briskets. Back yeah, then, we could jam maybe 15 briskets in a black October and just kind of jamming them in there. We preferred to cook nine or 10, but so Tuesday morning, the next day, I came around to the front and looked out the window at about, I don't know, 10 o'clock and the line is down to the street. <laughs> and I just, uh, I just was like, holy moly, look at that. Um, and that's when I started to get nervous because <laughs> yeah. right then, right then I realized that, that people are coming with an expectation. So we had better bring our A game every day. And uh, so it was, uh, for the first several weeks and maybe months, it was more terrifying than anything. I really felt yeah. a big obligation. It was sense. a huge line. Yeah, I, big I, line. I was looking at some pictures where it went, went all the way down to Main Street, Tomball, and, and, and then around. I mean, it was um, it amazing. It was. It was stressful because, you know, you, you read about the other places that have to manage the line and all that kind of stuff. And I remember, you know, we would load up with brisket and probably save like 30 pounds or so, put it in another warmer. So we kind of knew, we okay, we, we got 30 pounds here. And it was just... You know, it was just crazy because we used to make sandwiches so quarter pounds and half pounds, and now when people wanted two, four, or five pounds of meat, and it was it was a deal. And Scott would get a, a list, okay, how much brisket we got left, and he would start working down the line. It was kind of a bad, stressful thing to do, but we were running out at one thirty. If we could well, make it to one thirty, it wasn't it wasn't bad, you know. The first Saturday after that announcement, we we opened for breakfast like we had been doing on Saturday. And I think we ended up jumping into a couple of briskets to fulfill the breakfast demand. I mean, on the busiest Saturday morning ever, maybe we sold like 120 or 150 tacos. That Saturday, I don't know, I think we sold 400 or something. Wow. We, it was, we, did, we did $1,500 before we opened for lunch. And then we ran out of brisket so fast there was probably 70 people in line and we're out of everything and it was that bothered me a lot because people waited for quite a while and got nothing and it led to some arguments and there was a good thing there was we, we saw a few yelp yeah uh, you guys reacted to a few there yelp. was there was one particular guy it was a good thing there was a counter between us because we'd have not rolled around on the floor for a while <laughs> But yeah, you, you get the common thing you would expect. Why don't you cook more? How can you possibly run oh, out? Yes. You, know, you get all that kind of stuff, and you're just like, man, we, we, we didn't expect this. You know, we're cooking all we can cook, and we'll do the best we can do. And I think at that point, we, we quit. No more pickup orders, no more phone calls. Sorry. Even the regulars were kind of pissed. They couldn't, you know, come to their favorite place. They had to wait it out for, for whatever. And then we limited uh, two pounds minimum on brisket for a little bit. That helped us a little bit kind of stem the tide but that yeah. first week was a it was a mind blower yeah well i think it was like a perfect storm for you guys as far as drawing the crowd obviously being very high on the list being such a unique op your operation compared to any other barbecue joint there was a lot of just curiosity of like oh this place serves really good barbecue and they have a unique menu they serve chocolate it was and a lot of people that had not heard of you or not really taken the time to come out here and eat the food are suddenly saying okay yeah. well 
yeah. we've been missing out. It's time to go. And so it was and a new a new place well, that people had never heard of. Then, yeah. and, and I'm yeah. sure this isn't by mistake, but they planned this list to come out right when you know right Memorial Day, schools getting out, so people are starting to travel. And yeah. so, and so it was just this perfect recipe for you guys to have what you had. And it wasn't just barbecue either. We're sitting here in the chocolate maker and kind of brings me to, because, I mean, the truffle sales too, even in the middle of summer, we don't experience a lot of chocolate sales in the summer. It kind of slows down. It makes sense. But the truffle girls, I mean, I don't, gosh, I don't remember. They tripled, they doubled, tripled truffles. Uh, there was right a picture of completely yeah. empty. Yeah, just yeah. completely gone so for the week. On, you know, the whole house was filling it. Yeah, we went, we went from selling 350 to 400 truffles a week to 1,200 wow. immediately. And, um, Amazing. And you know, to touch on Andrew's point too about the interest and the uniqueness of it, um, that's where I would like to enter and discuss a little bit uh, Michelle's carrot souffle. So just this really fascinating. That was a little early, but we'll. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. Oh, we have a plan. No, no, that was that was one of the things I think that generated some of the side dishes that we had were unusual for barbecue places. And, well, uh, you brought it up. We got to talk about it. Yeah, so, you know, you you're required to order the carrot souffle when you come here. We ordered two. Of them. Yeah, yeah, we ordered one each because we wouldn't even share. Yeah, um, and it's it's a mix. I, I eat it as a dessert more than a side, um, and, and I like it that way. But it, it's a very unique dish. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, I, I like to call it a veggie dessert. Um, it does count as a vegetable because carrots is the first ingredient. Um, Michelle was um, visiting Houston with me. And um, I'm going to grill a steak in the backyard. So we're going to grill a steak tonight. And she says, I'm going to make a carrot souffle. And I looked at her and I was like, you know, okay. Yeah, because, you know, I'm trying to get lucky, right? I'm trying to be interested. I'm, but I'm thinking to myself, why would I want that? Carrot souffle, it sounds stupid. So anyway, she made carrot souffle and then I ate it. And I said, yeah, you ought to move the Houston movie. <laughs> um, but she specifically, not only did she say I want to make carrot souffle, I want to make it because you're making a steak and carrot souffle is a really good pairing for beef and it turns out to be true I tell people all the time here if you're ordering burn ends in particular or, or beef ribs or brisket you're making a mistake if you don't have carrot souffle it's just a perfect compliment it, it really does work well and, and if you combine it you know you guys do the house-made pickles and house-made red onions you get the vinegar from that to help cut the fat um, and digest it better. The dessert for a little little sweetness. I call it a dessert. I don't care what you call it. Um, <laughs> but but it, it is something that you absolutely have to get when you come here. Yeah, that's fair. It, it still amazed me today that we, there was a lady that was in town visiting a friend. She was uh, she's from New York, and we kind of played with her. She lives in Florida. She came. And they didn't order a carrot souffle, so we said, "Well, we won't take one out to her anyway." So we did, and she was blown away. It happens every day here. Yeah. Every I, day sometimes still, I tell people I don't I don't even tell them what it is I'll just order it yeah. because carrot uh, yeah. I don't want carrot yeah. it's like no 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 this is not I, you know, she it's was not the, the carrot same you know experience I had the first time I ever had it it was a holiday dinner and Michelle had made it and I was blown away like everybody else it's incredible and when you have it for the first time it's like nothing else you've ever had before right. yeah. and that, I think that's one of the great things about chaos is most places are lucky if you find one signature item for your place i mean you can live off of one signature item on your place you guys have so much that is so unique to this place that really helps you guys stand out and as this becomes a more crowded market there's always something that people can get here that they can't get anywhere else i mean people can try to replicate the carrots to play everyone knows it's yours 
people can try to do chocolate and barbecue. Everyone knows you were the first. I mean, and and now, and I, I don't want to skip ahead because I know this is sausage. like Brian's dream. Sausage. But now, now you guys are starting the sausage program. Which sausage is wars. Just what we had today is was just awesome, and you guys are in a really great spot now because you're unique to the market and your meat is as good as everything else on the menu, but someone can come here and have a different experience every time they come. And that's a really cool thing. It's really hard to pull that off. Yeah, we were just having that conversation actually, how we have this mix of customers, like I'm sure a lot of restaurants do. You got the guy that comes in who gets the same thing every single time. We have customers that have never moved off that brisket and blue sandwich, <laughs> never. They won't, they're just afraid Which is to. a righteous sandwich. They're called Which, my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, I can't and, say. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to stop you, right? So let's, <laughs> we're just going to have to keep talking about stuff. But brisket and blue sandwich, right, is brisket, blue cheese, cherry tomatoes, red onion. Right. Um, with a toasted, buttered toasted bun. Right. Um, and it is fantastic. It's, it's um, I recommend getting sliced, moist brisket in there. And that blue cheese and the fat and the, and the crunch from the toast, it's, it is. It's absolutely a phenomenal sandwich. It re, it really is a fantastic sandwich. Greg designed it. Um, I think he started thinking about blue cheese and burgers and blue cheese and steaks. Why wouldn't it work with brisket? And uh, so we just threw that out there. And um, so it's been a home run. But then, it, like Jim, back to your point about the, the selection. I mean, there are people that literally don't move off that. But then there are people that say. You know, they, they've been through the whole menu and said, what do you got next? I want something new. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, we have a lot of, we try to have a lot of fun with that stuff. And, and another thing you guys were doing pretty early in as far as Texas is pastrami. Um, you know, an entire week in the brine. Um, it's not an overnight project. There's a lot of labor involved. Um, how and why pastrami? You know, um, I'll give a little bit of credit to Russell Ragles here. He's, he's the one that first started kind of doing it a little bit. It was something that was on our radar. Um, I was always a pastrami fan, period. Um, and it was kind of, you know, you just caught wind of, you remember, it's been a couple of years people were talking about this is going to be the year of the pastrami, this will be the year of pastrami. So it kind of got fueled a little bit by other interests. And, you know, there again, I think we, we just... We call that the Daniel Vaughn effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah that totally. was part of it for sure. We totally. were kind of already, we were already, it was on our radar. We were already, you know, thinking about it and thinking about ways to do it before that. But it kind of, yeah, it just kind of fueled the whole thing. Um, quite frankly, I'm kind of surprised that more people aren't doing it. I know, well, I know, I know. There's one over in Fleurville, John. I know he's he's got some John Brotherton, Brotherton's Black right, Iron. Yeah, yeah. I'm, and I hear his is fantastic. Cadillac, I think. I wouldn't Cadillac expect Cadillac? anything else. Cadillac does it as a special. I don't know if it's done every day for Cadillac, but they have it as a special. The granaries done it. Well, that was there was a the picture that Daniel Vaughn posted the, the granary. Yeah, That's the first yeah. one that caught my attention. That image of that brisket, pastrami brisket, mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the fat cap. It was a piece of lean, but the fat cap, and the, it was you know, and the bark was perfect, and the color of it, and everything. I think that was the that was the that picture was the image that really drove us. My, my favorite is still, which is not a barbecue joint, which is Pius in Austin. Um, they do a, a great smoked pastrami. Mm. Um, yeah, they're a pizza place, but they make yeah. just fantastic smoked pastrami too. But yeah, I, we were doing like strict barbecue runs for a long time where it was just stop after stop after stop. And finally I was like, well, let's, because I'd been to Pius before, Brian hadn't. And I said, okay, well, there's this place. It's not really barbecue, but can we sneak it in? I know, I know you're on this barbecue cake, but let's sneak this thing in. And yeah, that was the first time you had smoked pastrami, I think. And, and it was one of those, holy crap, like, you don't know if it's going to work with traditional barbecue, but it really does. And you know, especially, I know you guys do the Reuben. 
I mean, it's just, it's a great composed sandwich because it gives you a little bit of everything. You get the tangy, you get, you know, the still the coriander bite with the Reuben. It's just a really good sandwich. Well, you know, and then Greg just finishes it off. He makes, he makes a house mustard that's spectacular. He makes a house Russian dressing that goes with it. Michelle uh, gave us her permission to use her sauerkraut recipe. People still come for it. It's great. I think, you know, having pastrami on one day a week on Thursday, of course, we get people that want it more. Um, as we gain refrigeration and whatnot, we think about doing more. But it's really set it's set us up great for a great Thursday, every Thursday. It just, you know, it gets them in the door. It's pastrami day. and that, yeah, That's kind right. of a, a definitely Houston pastrami day is Thursday. Everybody should know that. <laughs> right. We had, we had a guy that came here from California that was trying to plan it to go here and then run straight to Regal's and try to hit both in one day. He didn't pull it off, but but he was trying. I was like, well, if you get to Taos right when they open, eat it and run straight to Regal's, you might be able to do it. But it's, it's tough to do. You, you yeah. better be first in line. So while we're talking sandwiches, another one is a little confusing, I think, which is the house prime. So not prime rib, right? but but yeah. kind of along those lines. Tell us about that sandwich, because that's another one of my favorites. Yeah, I think it started, we were just, we you know, because we had the success on Thursday with the pastrami sandwich, like we, we were talking about. I think we were looking for something to get out there on a Wednesday that would, you know, you know, draw some attention and bring people in. It's a big, big, big sandwich, you know, and I think, you know, we, you know, just mushrooms and beef is kind of like brisket and blues. It's those are the things that... They work with beef, and why not brisket? So, I mean, why not go for it? So, kind of jazz it up with a little bit of caramelized onions and some green onion aioli, try to give it a round deal. And uh, the horseradish cheese, I think, is, uh, again, when, you know, when does horseradish cheese and beef not work at times? So, it just kind of came together mainly as a way to put something out for Wednesday. And I think initially it seemed like it was a, because the thing weighed a pound, you know, it's got a half a pound of brisket on, but the whole sandwich weighs a pound. So. I think initially it was that big boy burger attraction, you know, and we had a lot of people splitting them and whatnot, but it's, it's held up pretty well. Yeah, the flavor, the well. flavor is really good. Uh, you know, I don't want, don't want to use the word flavor profile. Well, but. you know, you, you, you alluded to it, and it does, every once in a while a sandwich does get us in trouble because we do call it the house prime, and some people yeah. think it's a prime rib, and then they get this big, you know, moist cut, fatty side of the brisket, and they're like, holy moly, look at all that fat, I don't want that. So we started a lean option, and we try to be more clear with people. Uh, we're re the references to prime grade brisket. One year ago today, you, you guys couldn't keep up with with the business. I mean, you know, lines down the street, selling out early. So you made a phone call to um, Mr. Moberg, Sonny Moberg, yeah, and uh, got got his pit as quick as you could. Yeah, um, and it is uh, July 27th today. Wow. So one year today. ago today, that thing was hauled no in here kidding. with a big crane. I can't believe it. That's, I don't, I don't know how we don't know that, but we, don't, we didn't until you told us, but that's cool. Well, that's another one that came out of the power of social media. I believe it was on Instagram where we first bumped into Moberg Smokers and started seeing what he was doing. And we were having, I started, I, I contacted him and we were exchanging messages long before Texas Monthly came out, probably a month ahead of time, you know, about the pit and talking about, you know, uh, how's, it, how's it built and what we got and how much is it and you know, all this and then we were getting pretty warmed up the Texas Texas Monthly happened and on Thursday of that week I called Sonny and said okay I'm sending you the money build the pit get it here as fast as you can and he was six weeks and by the time he got it here he was nine months and now he's a year yeah <laughs> yeah so it's um, um but it, it it changed a lot about what you guys were doing 
I changed not just the volume, but it, it cooks differently as well. It Tell does. us a little bit about, you know, the, um, I know you guys threw some stones on top of it, but Black October is not very well insulated and looks like it may have a few leaks here and there versus um, very well sealed up, very tight, very well insulated machine. How did that change, especially when you first got it, how did you have to adapt to it? Yeah, we um, we had to learn how to manage both the, f the firebox was enacted differently. Um, we were, the thing moves so much more air. Uh, had to learn, Black October, we tended to like to run it wide open, especially the exhaust and the draw. Um, and Sonny's pit, you got to throttle it back a little bit. It's just more horsepower than you need. Um, that was a big adjustment. Um, and, you know, Black October, we'd have to shuffle. We put the biggest briskets over here, and then we have to move them over here and do all this stuff. With when Sonny's pit, you just kind of plop them down. You don't have to. You don't have those worries about. It's it's so much more even from the door to the back wall, and from front to back than the Black October is. So a lot lot less uh, pit shuffling. Yeah. That that video you guys posted of the draw and that where you had the doors open and you see the smoke billowing through, nothing's coming out. Still one of the craziest pit pictures or pit videos I've seen ever. I mean, the the, the draw on that pit's yeah. insane. Agree, that captures it really well. Like Scott uses a great term, horsepower. It's got a lot of horsepower. I like to think of October as kind of a little more of a finesse pit. You know, now now that we have two to compare to each other, you know, and you got to have. I think it's nice to have them both for sure. Um, but yeah, the draw on the thing is pretty pretty amazing. But you know, and the thing I I find that, that really amazed me the most about it is that power. We're outside. The pits are outside for the most part. So uh, the dude, it can power through any weather. It doesn't. You know, it'll it'll quicken up a little bit when it gets hot. But in really cold nights, it doesn't slow it down. You know, the Black October. Yeah, you're gonna get a couple more hours out of a really okay. cold night. And she doesn't quite handle that stuff, stuff so well. So. And I think that was that it was a testament to you know how good y'all were doing with that pit when you made number six because I mean, you didn't have the luxury of having a, a mower, right? Um, do you think that it's maybe this may be the wrong word, but do you think that it's a lot easier to do that same quality on that pit versus Black October? For briskets, it is. Um, it's just easier to cook a brisket at a more even temperature and rate, time, temp, all that. Um, I will say though, on the Black October, is is a magic sausage smoker. Uh, it's a magic beef rib smoker. And we've had conversations around here about plucking that thing out and making it back into a trailer and plopping down another Moberg in its place. But we're a little, you know, we're scared about messing with the barbecue karma, the gods. <laughs> I mean, the Black October it, has it got magic. You to that point. It's yeah. magic, and uh, we don't want to disturb it. So yeah. it's going to be a big decision if we go if we go that direction. And she takes a little more attention to run, as far I mean, fire-wise, just strictly fire-wise. You know, dudes, and the way that firebox is built, um, you know, new guys that come on, they, 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 you know, Black October takes a little bit to get the hang of. You know, it's a, it's a little, I, I don't, it's just a little, little more detailed as far as how you have to work your fire. It's, it's a little bit like, um, it's like your old sofa. You got these spots where you can just get nestled in there, and you're all comfortable. And somebody comes around, you may, you move over a little bit, and God dang, it's just pinching me right at my back. And then versus a new couch where you're just comfortable all the way across. That's good. That's that was a good analogy. But sometimes you want that good old chair that you're just you used do. to sitting in. Yeah? It's a spot that can no, you can't replicate at all. So one thing that we've uh, 
we've noticed as far as the, the progression and the evolution of Tejas is you guys started with an upper two-thirds choice brisket. Yeah. And and the, the grades and the type of briskets that you've used have changed over the years that you guys have been doing this. Tell us a little bit about that transition. What, what kind of spurred on that transition and, and where you are now with your briskets? Yeah, um, yeah, we did. We started upper two-thirds choice of stockyards, suburban Chicago, and uh, we just got it sourced, and we we cut it, and we thought it was really good. And we thought that was a good grade to start with, um, and then you know we took on another meat company, and they, we were always open to trying, you know, whatever you guys want to bring around, we'll try it, we'll cook them, we'll cook we'll cook a case of them, we'll cut them, we'll try them, and it really has just all been cut tests, and just kind of how we evolved. I mean, we take a pretty open approach to that. Get a new brisket in. Let's cook it. Let's try it. And Scott, we give it to the customers. What do you think? You know, you know, boat A, boat you know, boat B, boat C kind of thing. And we wound up moving up to just a prime, a straight prime. It's an IBP, which was a really good brisket for us. It was a nice upgrade for a while. Um, some of the, the shape of the briskets and the consistency and the size kind of was was an issue with that particular brisket. So then we just upgraded from there and moved into and moved into all natural primes. And and you know, other than a, a cut test. Flavor-wise, you can tell the difference between those, right? I mean, it's yeah. There's some people don't understand that you know it's not just prime. Right? There's you've got prime and an all-natural prime, and I feel like I can taste the difference. It just has it all the way through the meat. Once you get past the smoke and the seasoning, yeah, there's more flavor to it. It's my opinion, but um, something I, similar to that, or I agree. I mean, we were all we're always pursuing the bet next, you know, trying to get better always, and we would compare the all-natural prime to a prime in ourselves and, we, and I would taste the difference and we would we I'd see a regular over there you know somebody comes in regular you know routinely and, and orders moist brisket I went and got that guy and said okay look try these two tell me what you think and it was pretty quick oh that one's better and uh, so they you know they picked up on it they could taste the difference if you're not eating them side by side you say wow this is a good one you had another one the next day that's a good one too but side by side definitely taste the difference that's a great point. Side by side part was huge, and uh, it was it was all it was consensus too. We never, we didn't we cook a bunch of them. We would never make a change unless it was a slam dunk, no doubter. Uh, but it's great to see the commitment to quality. I mean, it, yeah. it it's it it reflects a lot, not just on the quality and the product and the taste, but I mean the whole care that that's given to that. I mean, hey, well, you know, there's there's five other places in Tomball to buy barbecue. There are. There are. <laughs> there are. I've lived there for 14 years. That, that, that it came true to me to from a business consultant friend. And I said, well, there's no barbecue in Tomball. And he goes, oh, really? And he started naming all. I said, there's barbecue in Tomball. It may not be the barbecue you want, but it's barbecue in Tomball. So that kind of made me a little bit more aware. Yeah, you know what? You're right. There's we need to be we need to be exceptional. And that's I mean, that's a great point as far as not resting on your laurels. I mean, it's. It would have been easy to say, oh, wow, we're in the Texas Monthly Top 10, and just take that victory lap. That you know, I mean, Frankly, we've seen people take that victory lap before. It's easy to want to do. But you guys have done the exact opposite as far as the innovation you've done over the last year since the list has come out. It's pretty incredible, the, the new items that have come to the Tejas menu, the new things that are in development here. Um, I know the soups were something that came during the colder weather, and that was really popular. And uh, Tell us about kind of what's what we can expect in the colder weather of Teos. I know we don't want to eat them right now maybe but yeah well I, I think I'm, I'm sure we'll probably see a comeback on the soups I think it, it went well it's uh to be honest I think for us at the time you know we just you know, we'd gotten the dude on board and we were and we were cooking and so some of the uh, some of the initial 
run of After Texas Monthly, it tends to die a little bit. And so we were open our cooks, and so we had meat left over sometimes. So that that was the whole idea was to figure out a way. What are we going to do with this meat? It's left over, you know. And so it was cold, and soup seemed like an. <laughs> and, and and I, I like making gumbo. We never got around to that either. So that might be something that might we might see this coming. Gumbo sausage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> gumbo boudin. Stop giving them all your ideas, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> so so let's you know I, I let's. There's a couple of other topics, but let's talk about sausage since we're talking about innovation. Tune in next week as we continue our conversation with Scott and Greg on Tejas' new sausage-making program, as well as the planned opening of the bakery and sandwich extension of the Tejas business.